those that are with us this morning, so thankful for your presence and grateful for you, especially those that are visiting with us. Thank you for being with us this morning as well. We're always encouraged to, to have uh, visitors with us. And of course, we want to invite you back at every opportunity that you may have. We're so thankful for those that are watching online as well and grateful for them as uh, they are able to be with us uh, through the means of the media. It may be that you're in the process of looking for a church home. Well, as we would say, you found it. And uh, we hope that you'll uh, be encouraged by the work here and we'd be more than happy to sit down with you and discuss with you the many opportunities that, that uh, we can do together by joining hands. We are very grateful for all the many blessings that God has bestowed upon us and that we enjoy as God's people. And one of those blessings we have is worship. To come together in this period of fellowship and time to worship the true and living God and Him only. And there are many byproducts of worship and one of the one of which is fellowship, and it's always great to, to be with God's people. But this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, or actually we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, as we talk about victorious living. Everyone likes success. For the most part, all of us like to experience victory. Well, the Bible ensures us that one of the ways that we can experience victory is in the spiritual realm is through faith. Faith is indeed the victory. And so we will be thinking about victorious living and what it means to live a life of faith. Appreciate Brother Joe leading those songs that helps us towards the lesson to be able to understand just about the value of faith, the victorious living that we should have through faith. I'm, I want us to begin this morning by talking about the value of faith. There are at least three things that I believe that are in connection with this victorious living. As we look at 1 John 5 and verse 1, we find the investigation of faith. It is incumbent on us to be able to, <coughs> to investigate the claims that there are made in the scriptures about Jesus himself. And so there are many people in our world today that have many questions about Jesus. There's a lot of secular information that has to do with the very life and the times of Jesus Christ, the one that we know as the, the Son of God. And in 1 John 5 and verse 1, John said that whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so we have to investigate. We have to investigate what is said about the Son of God, known as Jesus. And the question might be, do you believe what God said about His Son? Do you know what it means to, to, to look at the testimony of men, to see what the truth is about this one that we call Jesus? It's one thing to look at what secular history has to say. And what is recorded, but what about what has God in heaven said about Jesus the Christ? And as we talk about faith, faith, of course, must be obedient. But we have literally 
But we are to literally investigate what God has said about his son. And God has made some declarations about his son. Back in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 3, verses 13 and following, we find there that where Jesus was baptized by John the Immerser in the River Jordan. And in verse 17 of that text, the Bible tells us that God the Father spoke from heaven on that occasion. And he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so here you have God lending testimony that this is his divine son. And then you go to Matthew 17 verses 1 through 5. When Jesus was transfigured on that mountaintop in the presence of Peter, James, and John, Matthew tells us that on that occasion that Moses and Elijah had appeared and that God the Father spoke from heaven and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And so God has spoken. In 1 John 5, listen to what John says in verse 9 about the very testimony given by God concerning his son. He said, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. He that believeth on the son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And so if we fail to respect what God has said about his son, the testimony, then we make him a liar. And then there's the second question. Do we believe what the word of God actually says about God? We are talking about investigating faith. And I think that all of us owe it to ourselves to investigate, to be able to look at the claims, if you will, that are made and then then draw some conclusions from that. What does the Bible say? What does the Word of God have to say about Jesus Christ? Now, Jesus, or John said, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the idea is that we are to accept the very claims that are made about Jesus, that he was and is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, the son of God, the one who came to redeem human family from sin. The Bible tells us on numerous occasions that Jesus is the Christ. And we go back and we look at the gospel according to John. And in verses 1, 1 through 3, or in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You go down to verse 14, you notice there, John would say, and the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, John was simply saying that the word is eternal. That the word logos became God incarnate. That Jesus was tabernacled in human flesh. And John said, and we beheld his glory. 
The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Now in that same chapter in the gospel according to John, John chapter 1, verse 29, you have John the baptizer lending the testimony and the very stamp of approval about Jesus. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Over and over again, we read of instances where Jesus is identified as the Son of God. In John chapter 6, in verse 35, we read uh, how Jesus had declared himself to be the very bread of life that came down from heaven. And of course, he came to do the will of the Father in verse 38. You know, many of the Jews uh, uh, really were present on that occasion. They had difficulty, if you will, accepting this great truth. And so John tells us that many of his disciples, they went back and they walked no more with him, verse 66. That's when Jesus then turned to his disciples and asked that question, will ye also go away, verse 67. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Peter, acknowledging and appreciating the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be, the centurion in Matthew 27, verse 54, when Jesus died on the cross, that Roman centurion cried out and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. Here was a man that had the, op- the opportunity to examine the evidence and his conclusion was that Jesus was the Son of God. And then over in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John in a very painstaking way had identifies the incarnate Christ. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have identified, has handled of the word of life. John was actually saying there that Christ did indeed come in the flesh. And so that was the investigation of faith. But then I want us to look, secondly, at the imperative of faith. John said in 1 John 5, 1, he said, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Did you know that faith compels us to accept the testimony that Jesus gave regarding the new birth. In other words, we don't quibble about, we don't question it. We do not try to circumvent what Jesus had said about the new birth there in John chapter 3. We accept it on his terms. And so in John chapter 3 verses 1 and following, Jesus discussed how we are to be born again. How we become a part of God's family. Now, Jesus, in that context, he had uh, had a conversation with Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews among the Jewish people. And he told Nicodemus in verse three, he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse five, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He goes on to say in verse 7 of that text, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. 
Our question might be, what does it mean to be born again? It means to accept the testimony given about Jesus that he is the the son of God. To repent of those sins, confess his name, and be buried in that watery grave for the remission of your sins called baptism. And then the rise to walk in newness of life as a child of God, to become a part of the family of God, to have God as our spiritual father. And so that is the imperative of faith, accepting the very terms of admission into the kingdom of God that is being born again. Peter talks about how that we are born again of not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, 1 Peter 1, 23. That is, taking the very simple truth of the gospel and then making application and obeying. Then there's one other thing that we think about when it comes to the value of faith. We've talked about the importance of investigating the faith. We've talked about the, the idea that we are to, uh, the imperative of faith, that is to investigate the claims that are made in Scripture. But there's also the importance of faith, if you will. Why is it important that we believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus? Why is it important that I come to the conclusion that Jesus is the divine Son of God? Well, let me sum it up for you in this way. Without Jesus, all A-L-L is lost. All is lost. Look at 1 John 5.11. John said, and this is the record that God had given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. John here is simply saying that if you have Jesus, then you're connected with him. If you have a relationship with him and you enjoy the very benefits and the blessings of eternal life, you are in a safe condition. You are among the redeemed, the saved, the cleansed. You belong to the body of Christ. But if you do not have Jesus in your life, there is the disconnect, if you will. You cannot have a relationship with God the Father without having a relationship with Jesus Christ, his Son. Without Jesus, all is lost. There have been battleships sunken at sea and the cry that rang out and was, all is lost. There have been homes that have perished by fire and the cry is, all is lost. There have been accidents that have occurred all across this country and the cry that came forth was, all is lost. If you don't have Jesus in your life, all is lost. You don't have anything. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. And so the value of faith, and then validating our faith, the validation of faith. How do we validate our faith? How do we demonstrate our faith? Have you ever thought about that? How do we demonstrate that faith? How do you demonstrate it in the Son of God? Listen to what John says in verses 2 and 3. And really when you look at faith, love and obedience is there. All intertwined. 
the kind of faith that the Bible talks about is an active faith and it's an obedient faith. And so what I would ask you is this, what is it that motivates us to obey God? Why do you obey God? Look at verses two and three. By this we know that we love that that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous or burdensome or wearisome or toilsome. John here is saying that the acid test, if you will, by which we demonstrate our love for the Lord is by obeying his will. Now, why do we keep the commandments of God? Somebody might say, well, it's because that God expects us to keep his commandments. And that's true enough. But what is it that motivates us to keep the commands of God? What ought to motivate us to keep the commands of God? And that should be our love for him, right? Do you remember what John said in 1 John 4, 8? He said, God is love. God is love. But in verse 19 of that text, he says, we love him because he first what? Loved us. That's right. When you and I come to an appreciation of all that God has done for us, when we step back and we begin to process everything that God in his great love has done for us, we then begin developing a sense of love for God. As we grow older and mature in the faith, what happens? Well, hopefully and prayerfully, our love for God is growing as well, right? And so we're motivated by love. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2 and verse 4, when he says, For God who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith he loved us. Would it be something, would it be something if all of us developed that same kind of love? I would think so. Where people can talk about us and speak of that great love that we have for God. When we put it into action, His commands, we're we're doing what? We're doing it because God said to do it. Because God loves us and we love Him. That desire to do His will because we love you. That's, that's what, hopefully what motivates us to do that. The very sense of love. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You could turn that around and you could say, if we are not keeping his commandments, we are not showing our love for him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right there. Now, let me say this. We talk about that which motivates us to obey God. But I want you to to think about manifesting our obedience to God. How do we demonstrate our love for God? How do we manifest that? Well, again, we have to go back to this idea of putting into practice His commands, right? I mean, we demonstrate that love by doing what He says. Well, in verse 20, He said, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. One of God's commands is that we love one another. And we love one another because God expects us to love one another 
but we're motivated by the very love of God himself. There is vertical love and there is horizontal love, right? But we are putting into practice what God has said. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. When people see us loving one another, what's that? What is that? Evidence. That evidence is our love for God, our love for his word, our respect for his word, and our willingness to comply to his will. Now, We've talked about being motivated to obey God. We talked about how we can manifest our obedience to the will of God. And there are a lot of things that we can do as Christians. And maybe there is in a sense in which we feel compelled to do it. Because that's what the Bible says. But when we develop a sense of genuine love and appreciation in our hearts of hearts. In our heart of hearts. Then everything we do for His cause will be a labor of love. That's what the Hebrew writer was talking about in Hebrews 6.10. He says, why, why, why do I love as Jesus taught me to love? It's because I love the Lord. Very interesting, isn't it? Now John said in John, in verse 3, 1 John 5 verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous, they're not burdensome. When we love one another, we're putting into practice what the Lord wants us to put into practice. But that is not a burden to be borne. But rather we do it because we love the Lord. Because we love His people. There are a lot of things that we can do in the name of Christ that we ought to be doing because we love Him. And if we have that genuine heartfelt love in our heart for the Lord, then there are a lot of things that we would never question. Never question. Like coming to worship on the first day of the week. Or coming to Bible study. When you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you genuinely have Him at the apex of your life, you'll be here. You'll be here, and not because it's a burden, but because you feel like you have to be here because God expects you to be here. And even though he does not, even though he does expect you to be here, you'll be here because why? You love him. You want to get to know him more because you want to be in his presence because you want to be with his people. And by the same token, why do we practice the golden rule? Matthew 7, 12, because we love the Lord. And we want to show how we love the Lord by doing what he says. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Why is it? Why is it that we bear one, another, one another's burdens? Because we love the Lord. Because we love the Lord. Because we love His Word. Because we want to do what He says to fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. Why why do we help those who are in need? Galatians 6.10. Because we love the Lord. 
And because we love His Word and because we're motivated by love and we're manifesting this love. It was said of Jesus in Acts 10 and verse 38 that He went about doing good. Why? Why did He go about doing good? How do we, how do we go about doing good? Because we love the Lord and we love His Word and we want to demonstrate our faith and our love by walking in His footsteps. Now there's a third thing that we notice in our study, and this has to do with the victory of faith. Can you and I be victorious in our Christian life? Well, the answer is yes. But listen to what John said in verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. In verse 5, he says, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. How do we come to understand or see the world for, really, for what it really is? We see it by the eye of faith, don't we? By the eye of faith, through the eye of faith. When you and I have developed that kind of faith that the Bible talks about, when we begin walking and living in accordance to the will of God, the bottom line is this. We come to see the world for what it really is. For you see, faith brings clarity to the world. There are a lot of people that are misinformed about the world. There are a lot of people today that misunderstand the world. And so faith is what enables us to gain the victory. The victory that overcometh the world. Now faith does some things that maybe we ought to think about as these things relate to the world. First of all, faith that is genuine faith, the kind of faith that the Bible talks about. Faith enables us to clearly see the pollutions of this world. Who is the God of this world? The little G God, if you will. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, identifies Satan as the God of this world. Do you know what Satan is trying to do? Satan is trying to distort, to disrupt, to circumvent your faith in the Lord. He's doing everything that he can to destroy your faith in the Almighty God. And so what you and I have to understand is to see the world for what it really is. That the world is filled with corruption. The world is filled with pollution. It is dominated by the devil and the devil wants to allure you and deceive you. Through what? Well, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He wants you to buy into this world system, if you will. And yet you and I, when we obey the gospel, Peter says, we're delivered out of that. We're delivered out of the corruptions, the pollutions that are in the world, 2 Peter 1.4. We escape the corruptions, the pollutions that are in the world when we obey the gospel, 2 Peter 2.20. And so faith enables us to see the world for what it really is. It enables us to see the world is filled with pollutions and corruptions. And with that, why would we want to live under the reign of the devil? Well, we don't have to. We can live under the reign of Jesus as our king in his kingdom. There's a second thing that faith enables us to see, and that the world is replete or filled with problems. Problems. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world ye shall have tribulation. I don't know of anybody this side of eternity 
that does not encounter some kind of problem. We all have it. Some of us might have one problem. Some of us might have many problems. But there are a lot of people that have a number of problems. You know, Job said in Job 14.1 that man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, right? If you live long enough, I promise you, you, you will have troubles come your way. When you look at the people in our world today, you see people that are either on the brink of having problems. There are people that are having problems and there are people who are coming out of problems. When we look at what the Bible says and we develop a sense of faith, faith helps us deal with the problems of life, doesn't it? Well, what is it that overcomes the world? Well, John says, our faith, right? We need, we need to develop a sense of faith. How do we overcome the problems of the world? By faith. We also come to be able to understand that problems or trials are temporary. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he talked about this light affliction. He said, which is but for a moment. If you live long enough, I can assure you that you will come into troubles and trials in this life. But if your faith in God and your trust in God is greater, you'll see fewer problems. But then there's a third thing. Faith enables us to see that the world is passing away. And this is what we really need to see. That the world that we live in, it will one day pass away. The world is not eternal, right? I mean, the song we sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, that's, that says it. We're, we're, just, we're just here on our way to heaven. And we live on this planet Earth, in this world, but we're just a passing through. I'm on my way to heaven. That's it. You're not going to be here forever. You may live like you're going to be here forever, but let me promise you, you're not. We all will one time die. Hebrews 9, 27. And it is appointed unto man once to die, then cometh the judgment. Very important. John said in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. It's not eternal. This world is coming to a crashing halt one day. Listen again to what John said in verse 4. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 100 years from now, what do you think will matter the most? Be honest. Be honest. What do you think will matter the most? Where you lived? How much money you had in the bank account? What kind of automobile you drove? The jewelry you wear? The clothes you wear? What's going to matter the most? One thing that I know is this. What will be important to you is where you will be eternally speaking. That's the most important. You'll either be with the Lord or you're going to be with the devil. We need to understand this world is passing away and all the things that are in this world, they're going to be gone. 
We are on the battlefield of life. And we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And the way that we live victorious, victoriously is by living a life of faith. I, I want to appeal to you today to live for Jesus Christ day in and day out. To do His will that He has spelled out for us in His Word. He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's helped us to understand why we are here, what to do to become a Christian, how to live the Christian life, and where we're going to go eternally. And that's either to be with God or to be with the devil. If we were to take a poll, who all wants to be with the devil? I don't think that anybody would raise their hand. If you raise your hand, then maybe we need to sit down and talk, okay? But all of us want to go to heaven. We all want to be with God in Christ. But what are we doing to get there? If you're here not a Christian, can we encourage you to become one? A child of God. To become a part of the family of God. By believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the living God. John 8, 24. To then repent of our sins. Luke 13, 3, Acts 17, 30. To then make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then to go down into the waters of baptism to have those sins washed away. Acts 22, 16. To have the remission of sins. Acts 2, 38. Rise to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 and 4. If you're here already a child of God, but you wandered away, come back. Make things right with God once again. Be restored back to that first love. Acts 8, 22. We hope that we can help you. We want to pray with you and for you, if you will. Won't you come?